Okay. Um, another announcement is um, we do have a meals ministry here at church, and we like to like refresh that list. And if God has called you or is calling you out of doing the meals ministry, because we're all in different stages at different times of the year that we could help, and sometimes we can't, please see me, and I'll get you on that list. Or please see me, and I'll take you off that list, because we certainly um, understand where you're at when um, God is calling for certain ministries in this uh, body of Christ that uh, you can and you can't, and that's okay, because we're all in different um, um, walks in our lives. So um, you guys are just staring at me like you don't know what to do. You guys know what to do. Stand up. Stand up. Come on. Stand up. Hold your sister's hand. <laughs> don't be that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Got a hand back there? Someone just kind of go like this for Lisa. She's in the back. Just kind of. Okay. Are we all good? Yep. Okay, let's bow our heads. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're so thankful to be here this morning, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that uh, you lift all the ladies up that are here this morning. And some, Lord, may have come with their study done, and some may have not, Lord. And that's okay, because um, we're all in a different um, walk this week, Lord, and we all have, have had oppositions hit us, Lord, and we pray that you would just meet us here, and I ask, Lord, that you will lift up the sister's hands that I'm holding, Lord, and you will protect her and her family and, and her children and her husband, and just lift them up, Lord, and guide their path. And this morning, I ask, Lord, that you would just empty myself of me, because it's all about you, and help us to see you in your story this morning, and I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay. Well, I have a huge treat for you guys. I found an interview with Nehemiah. Yeah. And he's going to be interviewed with no better than our pastor, Skip Heitzig, from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And if you know anything about him, our married couples, we are doing our study with him. And so it just gives me great pleasure this morning to um, introduce to you um, Skip Heitzig, if you haven't met him, and he's going to be talking directly to Nehemiah at Jerusalem. So enjoy this interview, and we'll be right back. Last week we studied the book of Ezra, if you remember. We saw how that he led a group back along with Zerubbabel, and they built the temple, they celebrated the Passover, but not all was well in Jerusalem, as we're going to see tonight, which leads us to not only the book we're going to do tonight, but a special guest that I want to introduce to you. Believe it or not, all the way from Jerusalem, it will be Nehemiah the prophet. We're going to interview him. Now, here's the thing. Nehemiah... Um, it, it's, a, it's the other side of the world, number one, and, and number two, it's like a few thousand years apart, so there's a little bit of a delay. Technology has helped to band together and make it really good, but there's, there's a, a, a little bit of a delay. So I want you to welcome Nehemiah. Please welcome him. Look, everywhere you look is a mess. Look at this place. Look Nehemiah, at it. Nehemiah, Nehemiah. But, but, but can't you see I'm a little busy? 
Well, Nehemiah, we'd like to know a little bit more about how things are going for you there in Jerusalem. Really? Why should you care? Nobody else cares. Take a look around. Does anybody care? No. Well, w- we, we really do care about the city of Jerusalem, and we'd like to know more. Hmm. Well, you say you care about Jerusalem. Huh? Hmm. Have you ever been here? Yeah, I, I've been there 30 times, in fact, uh, Nehemiah, and a few people here have been there as well. What, 30 times? Yeah. Really? Where did you live? Bethlehem? <laughs> Me, twice, maybe three times I visited, but of course then I came and stayed. But then you should have said so to begin with. Okay, so then you understand this is a beautiful, historical, ancient, famous city. But look at it. Look at it now. We have got so much work to do. Oi. Uh, Nehemiah, listen. I want to know something. You've lived such a good life in Persia. You were in the king's palace. You had an important position. Why would you decide to return to Jerusalem? Persia. Bunch of pagans in Persia. <laughs> They're not of the tribes, you know. The king, Artaxerxes, was kind enough. He was a nice man. He's a mensch. We were close. I was cupbearer. He gave me leave to come down here and rebuild the city. A good man. But you know, think about it. You got Persia, you got Jerusalem. Eh, no contest. Hmm. Well, Nehemiah, tell us about your neighbors there. I know that you have a guy named Sanballat and another one named Tobiah. Yeah, them. Well, the less said the better. Look, all day long we're schlepping these stones up to the wall. Then we come down, we grab another stone, we schlep it up to the wall. So they come by the wall that we're working. They say, Nehemiah, come down and talk, talk. I say, talk to yourself. We got work to do. Oh, wow. Well, listen, Nehemiah, how how did your nation get into the shape that it's in now? Hmm. Well, you know, it's not like we weren't warned, you know? We were warned. Moses, Jeremiah, the prophets, all warned us. But no, hard hearts and closed ears and a quick trip to bondage in Babylon. Your country, you think, should learn from this. Mm, you're right, we should learn from this. Uh, Nehemiah, you've been back now in Jerusalem for a while. What were the biggest problems, problems that you faced? Problems, you've had problems. Look around you. Where do I begin? The falls are down. The gates were all burned. Twelve gates to this city. Oh, my Lord. Mm. The north gate burned. The sheep gate, gone. The Hanalel tower, ruined. The fish gate, burned. The dung gate, Oi, don't ask. You don't want to know from the dung gate. And enemies are everywhere. And on top of that, the scriptures are ignored. Hmm. But that's going to change. Huh. Well, now what do you mean by that it's going to change? Well, you don't know, but my friend Ezra, he's coming in very soon. And he's planning to preach right from the scriptures. Well, you know, we're going to do exactly that here in just a minute. In fact, I think you would enjoy the book we're going to be reading tonight, because you wrote it. But um, uh, tell us a little bit more about your rebuilding plan. Well, the walls you can see, the building. But one thing we're also building is community along with the walls. Everybody takes care of their section of the wall. Mm. we got a sword in one hand, you got a towel in the other. We're ready to work, we're ready to fight. Hmm. Well, Nehemiah, I know you're busy. I just have one more question for you. 
if you were to look ahead many years from now and think about the future of Israel, what do you think Israel will be like in the future? Mm-hmm. I wish it were not so. But I think maybe Israel always going to be a thorn in the side of the whole world. Let me tell you a secret, though. I think this is how the Lord planned it. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Nehemiah, thank you for being with us tonight. We really appreciate that. And you got a great beer, by the way. So this is Babylon. Quite a commute. But I can tell you, it was much better coming from Babylon than it was going into exile, going to Babylon. Ah, this is a map of my Jerusalem. Imagine a place so small, but so important to the whole world. Here's one of the gates of our city. Without gates and walls, we have no safe city. This was what happened when Babylon took us into captivity in Jeremiah's day. Such sadness. Ah, that's me inspecting the walls. Not a bad picture, huh? I look better than the walls do. But just give us a couple of weeks to work. Enough with the talking already. Back to work. Back to the walls. Hey, you over there, put down the coffee and pick up a shop. Is it on, Jerry? Yeah, it's on. Okay. So, um, I wanted to show you that video because I know for myself in the way that God has blessed me to um, understand certain things. If you're going to tell me a story, I've shared this with you plenty of times, I need to know the whole background. I need to know where you were at, what was happening, what was around you, was it windy, was it snowing. So, um, for me, in order to, like, get the message out to you guys, I just really want to, I want to, uh, reel you in to what what was going on and put us in the pages of the Bible. And so I found this um, interview and I just thought it was so appropriate for you guys to share that. But anyways, I wanted to tell you of a little story that happened to me. I do have a lot of notes here, so I'm uh, forgive me if I used to be looking down a lot. Um, but when I was a little girl, the church that um, I was brought up into, but that my parents were still involved in, they did a lot of missionary work, and um, they, especially to the Native Americans. And so my parents would go on these missionary trips about two times a year with other families, and it continued on until I graduated from high school. And as I got older, we would go to um, the missionaries across the border into Tijuana and, and do outreaches there. And I remember one time going to the San Carlos Indian Reservation in Um, New Mexico and we had gone with about 10 families and we took campers and trailers and tents and we stayed on an actual Indian reservation and meeting the local tribes there that needed help and I remember my asking my mom where was Pocahontas you know just little 10 year old girl there Um, the work that was done at this reservation that was in need was planting corn beans and lettuce and I can remember my parents and all the adults would work from sun up to sundown. And some adults would do all the planting while the others would do all the cooking and the cleaning. And in the evenings after dinner, we would go um, get to know the people of the tribes. And I remember sitting around large campfires and watching them sing songs and doing their rain dances. And uh, believe it or not, one day it rained the next day. So I don't know what that was all about. 
But after that, um, every time I um, would want to go home and wear my rain boots and stop around. And But anyways, on one of those days, um, the parents let the children go out into the fields and help with the planting. And I remember with my mom throwing seeds onto the ground and pouring the water. And looking back, I can recall how everybody did something, from the little kids to the adults. Something was always needed to be done. The rest of the time we were there, I was in charge of my little sister, who was five, and I was told to stay in the trailer and make sure she's okay. Well, being ten and five, I found my mom's makeup bag with red lipstick, and uh, my sister became the model for me to try out my artistry on putting lipstick on. And so, and if that wasn't enough, um, my mom used cold cream back in those days. And so I thought it would be kind of cute to have like a white face with puffy little uh, cold cream all over it with the red lipstick. And if that wasn't enough, we decided to go outside because I was so, so excited to show my mom what I did with my sister. But it was windy that day. So as soon as we opened up the door to the trailer and we went out to go find our parents, the wind had kicked up so bad into my sister's face that she became a pillar of sand with red lips. (laughs) And it stuck to her face. I don't remember what was redder, her face or my behind. (laughs) But that was one of the fondest memories that I have growing up doing missionary work. Uh, But this morning, you know, as we um, go ahead and open up to Nehemiah chapter 3, we're going to look at both of those chapters this morning. God is in the business of working through his people to accomplish seemingly impossible tasks. As we have read through our Bible studies, we have saw time and time again of God's people getting themselves in situations that seemed too big to fix, And yet God's grace reaches down every time again and again and again to turn them around and bring them back to him because he loves them. He loved them so much, just like he loves you and he loves me, that he wants, he really, at the end of the day, wants us to save ourselves from ourselves because we are so destructive without Jesus in our lives. In chapter 1, In Nehemiah, God raises up another deliverer for Israel to rebuild the temple walls. In chapter 2, the people said, let us rise up and build. Sitting around waiting for someone else to do something that God has put on your heart will result in nothing but disappointment and discouragement and missing out on the blessing of seeing God's hand at work. God wants to use each and every one of us here in this room. God is looking for vessels that he can use in all different ways, big or small, to the missionary field or the church nursery, to teaching Sunday school or Wednesday night, to cooking meals for our ministry or setting up coffee, to singing on the worship team, to setting up the microphones, to greeting and welcoming those coming in, to coming alongside and praying with those in need, to visit the sick and the lonely. The list is long, and I can go on and on. But I'm sure in this fellowship, I'm sure that we could even just ask Connie or one of the leaders, 
what is there for me to do? What can I do? What can I help? And the list would be just long. When God overwhelms us with a desire to help a need or to start a new endeavor, that is him knocking on your door and my door because God chose you to do that work. He wants you to work his will through you. You are that perfect vessel for the task to be done. He put it on your heart. Whatever it is, great or small, it's never our ability to work, but it's our availability in our heart to do his work. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, what is our availability is the question. God plants a seed of desire in our heart, making way for his plan to be unfolded and his purpose to be fulfilled. Chapters 3 and 4 reads, So we built the wall, for the people had a mind to work. Kingdom building, back then and today, is still the same. Some rise up, some stand in the way. Our lesson this week asks us these personal questions regarding kingdom building. What are we? Are we a constructor? Positive contribution? Are we a destructor? Negative tearing down? Are we an obstructor? Deliberately placing obstacles? Are we an interpreter? Interrupter, I mean, causing ongoing problems. I can honestly say for myself that at one point I was wearing all of those hats at the same time, thinking that I knew better than everyone else did. Some 1,000 years after the time of Moses and some 400 years before the birth of Jesus, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people were in a desperate state. We know that upon Solomon's death, when we read his story, Israel became a divided kingdom, ten tribes referred to as Israel's referred to as Israel migrated north to Samaria. The other two tribes called Judah went south, settling in and around Jerusalem. During the time they were divided, the people reached their lowest point in their history, and absolute chaos resulted when God had judged Israel. When Assyria invaded, the northern kingdom ceased to exist. Judah remained a nation for 300 years. But in 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon invaded Jerusalem, and all of Judah was taken captive. This is what we all know as the Babylonian captivity. The invaders tore down and burned the house of God, the temple, and the walls surrounding Jerusalem. The book of Nehemiah begins 15 years after the book of Ezra ends and almost 100 years after the first captives came back to the promised land and some 150 years after the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. After this long time, the walls of the city of Jerusalem were still in rubble. Before this, citizens of Jerusalem had tried to rebuild the walls but had failed. No one thought this obstacle could be overcome. So the walls lay in ruin and the people stayed in trouble. God raises up Nehemiah and he hears of Jerusalem's condition. It's told to him, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. 
The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah's body was in Persia, but his heart and his interests were in Jerusalem, 800 miles away. Now we might think to ourselves, an important man like Nehemiah had more important things to do than think about a distant city that he had never been to and the people that he had mostly never met. Yet because his heart was for the things of God, his heart was not on himself. It was on others. I read a commentary with Chuck Smith's story on visiting Jerusalem, the many times that he's been there. He says, when you see Jerusalem for the first time, there's this sense of aura, this charm, this sense of almost sorrow overwhelms you that when you see it, you start to weep uncontrollably, controllably, knowing that this is God's Jerusalem and the shape that it is in saddens your heart. The bad state of the people and the bad state of the city walls were in, intimately connected. In the ancient world, a city without walls was a city completely open and vulnerable to its enemies. They had no defense, no protection at all. An unwalled city was always a backwater town with nothing valuable in it. If there was anything valuable in an unwalled city, it could be stolen away easily because there was no defense to stop it. Those living in an unwalled city lived in constant stress and tension. They never knew when they might be attacked or brutalized. Every man lived in constant fear for his family, for his wife and his children and his daughters. The temple could be rebuilt but never made beautiful because anything valuable would be taken away easily. Everything about the Jewish people and their religion was all physical at this point. Everything was physical. The Ark of the Covenant, physical. They could see it. Sacrificing at the altar, physical. They could see it. The lamb or dove being killed on behalf of their sons, physical, because they could see it. They could see the blood and they could smell the fragrance going up. They could see the blood. The temple, they could see it. They could go in it. They could touch it. It was all physical. This is where God lived with them. If you look at Jerusalem today, what is left that we see on the news or we read about? The Wailing Wall. It's still physical to them. That's all they have left, to touch, to see, to smell. Their spiritual identity was destroyed. The place where God dwelt among his people burned down. The mercy seat, gone. The Holy of Holies, burnt down. The Holy Temple, the Temple of King David and Solomon, burned down with fire from the enemies. Everything destroyed was ransacked, burned down with fire from the enemies. Their physical identity was gone. But that's not us today. We don't live in the physical Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. We live in the spiritual. This building can be burned down. But then we can go meet at my house or your house or the parking lot or the park. Jesus says in Matthew, remember, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. They didn't have Jesus back then. Remember, this is before Christ. So everything, their identity, the temple was gone, so they didn't have anything to go back on. Nehemiah was lifted up and given favor and it resulted in God getting the glory. He answered a specific call and a mission from God 
And in doing so, Nehemiah remained prayerfully dependent upon his God to complete the task ahead of him. The once splendor of Israel lay now in ruins. The armies of Babylon carried off all the treasures of Judah along with the remnant of survivals. Second Chronicles 36 tells us, And those who had escaped from the sword, he, King Nebuchadnezzar, carried away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. God's people were chained together and marched 800 miles to Babylon where they lived as they had centuries before in Egypt like slaves. Their God, your God, my God didn't forget his people. God's perfect plan was about to unfold again. We see this. The two neighboring kings of the Medes, King Sirius of Persia and King Darius together invaded Babylon, forcing the surrender of King Nebuchadnezzar's armies. Then God stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia to write a declaration stating that God had appointed him to build the Lord a house in Jerusalem. In doing so, he allowed the people to return to the city that had been destroyed 70 years earlier. This is known as the second exodus. Our lesson last week with Teresa, she took us back to the book of Ezra during the second time of the restoration of the temple. But because of Israel's enemies, we read that they wrote a letter to the king asking him to stop the work of Jerusalem. And it came to a standstill and Jerusalem was left again without the protection of the walls until God uses Nehemiah. God's city was an unwalled city. Jerusalem was a ghost town with the potential to end up like many ancient cities, completely forgotten except to history. When the Jews were adopted, deported to Babylon, they began to make homes for themselves there. They settled down, and many still followed the God of their fathers, but they did it from Babylon. With no desire to return to the land God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Some of these faithful Jews were raised up to places of prominence in the governments they were deported to. We know this because we hear of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego became leaders in Babylon. We also know the story of Esther. She was made queen in the courts of the Persian king. All these people were born inside captivity and God raised them up for his purpose. We left last week in chapter 2 that Nehemiah was sent out with the king's authority. Going through the river and through the forest, he gave them the letters from the king. Nehemiah had prepared. He had the letters showing he was truly sent by the king. He had captains of the army and horsemen with him. He also had substantial um, supplies of lumber from the king's forest. Truly, the king of Persia had responded to Nehemiah's invitation to become a partner in the work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. But Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. We read in Nehemiah 3 how Sanballat was greatly enraged. He was so mad. He became a thorn in Nehemiah's side. 
Interesting to note, these two men cared nothing, even though the temple was there and people were far and few between. That was fine to them. As long as the people of God were not strong, as long as Jerusalem was weak and vulnerable and unwalled, that's what happens with us today. If we look over at Proverbs 10:11, if you want to turn your can and highlight it, I'll just read it to you real quick. Proverbs 10:11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And we can see that here as we read about these two enemies. Notice when this opposition came to Nehemiah, not at the heartfelt stage of thinking about going to Jerusalem, not at the vision, the vision stage, not at the prayer stage, not at the planning stage, but when progress came in the doing stage. Sometimes we fear stepping out for the Lord because we know opposition will come. We somehow think our life will be better or easier if we just stay out of the way. I have nothing to offer to help. Staying in our little mediocre state before God. Tough times are going to come, and they're going to come our way, but when we are growing and stepping forth in the Lord, we are far more equipped to deal with them. And so we built the wall for the people had a mind to work, it tells us. Looking at chapters 3 and 4, Nehemiah gets busy right away. He takes us on a counterclockwise tour around Jerusalem, beginning and ending with the sheep gates. The first thing we notice is that the whole process was a team effort. If the walls and gates were going to be rebuilt, then everyone would have to play their part. This gives us a good look at how the body of Christ works today. The pastor is not to be the one-man band or the one-man show. He can't physically do it all while the rest of us sit around waiting. He's not called to do everything. He's one part of the wall. The pastor and the priest in this chapter, as we read, gets the ball rolling They lead the people not only by what God's word says, but by action, and then delegate areas of the walls to be prepared appropriately. We see that the high priest is the first one mentioned who pitches into work. In Nehemiah chapter 3, the gates were the critical entry and exit points to the city and the places most likely to see an enemy attack. Therefore, the work started at each gate and worked out from there. And I'm just going to go over a few um, interesting notes on the gates real quick. The sheep gate was so named because it was the gate where shepherds brought their flocks and they brought them in to sell. Upon, up until a few years ago, the same gate is still being used for the same purpose in Jerusalem. The sheep gate repaired by the high priest. The first gate mentioned in the rebuilding of the walls. Known for the offering of sacrifices. In fact, it is suggested through the Bible commentaries that this was the first gate rebuilt because it was used for this purpose only. The sheep gate is also the last gate mentioned in the, la- in the list of repairs. It was the starting point and the ending point. This is the only gate mentioned that they consecrated. The act, this act is recognizing something special and set apart for God's glory and service. Jesus is our sheep gate. We are his sheep. 
He is the gate that we go through to enter into eternity with God. Jesus is our starting point and our ending point. Next, we have the fish gate. Fishermen brought through the fish gate fishes for selling in Jerusalem from the Sea of Galilee and from the Jordan River. The old gate doesn't mention too much here. This may have been one of the original gates made. Next, we have the valley gate. Several valleys surrounded Jerusalem, and this gate apparently opened to the valleys of Hinnom. The dung gate. This is the gate where all of Jerusalem's refuse and rubbish was taken out down to the valley where it would be burned. This gate is purposely built a long distance away between the next gate on each side of it. For obvious reasons, it didn't quite smell too attractive. Just like our homes, we take out the trash of our living areas. The spiritual meaning of a dung gate in our lives, we need to take out the trash that is in our own temples. Next, we have the fountain gate. Located near the pool of Silo and was often used by the people for cleaning before proceeding into the temple. The water gate led down to the Gihon Spring, which brought water into the temple reservoirs. And the horse gate. This gate was close to the king's stables, and the men of Jerusalem would ride their horses in and out of this gate. Also, people coming to the city would dismount and give the caretaker their horse. The east gate, Nehemiah doesn't describe the purpose of the east gate other than it's on the eastern wall of the temple and that it has a guard named Shemaiah. However, we do know that the Bible tells us the purpose of the east gate. This gate was and is set aside by God for one particular event, which is the coming of the Messiah. And the last gate, the inspection gate or the Midgad gate, This is where King David would meet his troops to inspect them going and coming from battle. A few things chapter 3 also talks about is the nobles who did not work and the cleaning up in the area in front of our own houses. There are people that just don't want to participate in kingdom building for whatever reason. And if we're not careful, we could start a gossip group going on why people are not helping out like we think they should. This is left up between them and God and not for us to decide. Five times in Nehemiah, chapter 3, it speaks of those who worked on the section right in front of their house. Often we need to give attention to the work of God right at our own homes. If the work needs to be done anywhere, it needs to start, start in our own homes. Our homes must be a place of prayer where the family calls into God. Our homes must be a place of protection and peace. Our homes must be a place of justice and integrity, especially with integrity regarding our marital vows and God's promises. Our homes must be a place of devotion and separation to God. Chapter 3 also shows us the need of believers to work together for accomplishing something. It pleased God to see his people working together in one accord. With one heart and one mind, God will put us into situations where we must work together and learn how to lead, how to follow, how to work together with one heart and one mind. The wall was continuous. Any gap compromised the entire structure. Therefore, each space at the wall was important, even if someone did not think so. 
The wall could never be strong if someone was tearing it down at different sections. Moving over to chapter 4, I have it. I call it staying the course during opposition, kingdom building during attacks from the enemy. We need to ask ourselves, what is our course today? Jesus says in Matthew and Luke, Luke, come and follow me. Come, come, follow me. But how, look how quick some were to give an excuse. Oh, Lord, I will follow you, but let me go first bury my father. Oh, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go bid my family farewell. Oh, Lord, I will follow you, but I don't have time today. Don't get me wrong. I'm just as guilty as all of these things. But we can't make a dent into his kingdom building if we're too busy, even for the little things. Jesus is not asking us to go to the deepest parts of the world and preach. He's asking us to preach to our own hearts. He is asking us to rebuild our walls, to keep the enemy out of our minds, to keep the enemy out of our hearts, and to stay inside the temple with him at all times and at all costs. Let's not become an unwalled temple for Jesus. Jesus doesn't live in broken temples. He wants to help us fix it. And he wants to help us rebuild it, even if it's over and over and over. Kingdom building will take a long time, and it doesn't happen overnight. If we are kicking it down on the other side from the inside, we only destroy ourselves. Israel back then and today is always under attack physically. The enemy, Satan, is working overtime, and he's working overtime without pay. And now he is destroying both physical and spiritual temples. He's still doing the physical destruction, and he's still doing the spiritual destruction, which is us, which is inside here. Breaking down every, every bit of anything of Jesus everywhere. From the smallest of things, like helping someone in need, to the biggest of big, only we know what he has called us to do, what our availability is, which is very different from each other. Critics who bring down nothing but discouragement will always miss what God is doing because they don't like the wall. They can't believe it is God's work. In the same way, the church is God's church. Jesus loves his bride. One should always be careful about the way you talk about Jesus' bride. The people working on the walls face the continual threat of terrorist attacks from those who didn't want to see Jerusalem rebuilt. Do we have that today in our own lives? Of course we do. Just look around our world. But in Nehemiah, the tension of the possibility of sudden assaults caused fatigue and doubt. Nehemiah reminded the workers to keep weapons close at hand and to fight for God and to fight for your family and to fight for their nation. The enemies of Israel were furious and very indignant that the building of the walls was progressing faster that they could hurl insults at them. Why? Because Nehemiah equipped the workers with swords and most importantly, God's promise to be at their side. The workers did, in fact, have legal, legal protection from the king, proven by the letters mentioned. Sanballat and Tobiah had no authority to actually stop the work. They just wanted to trip them up. 
Who do you have personally today trying to trip you up, trying to stop your kingdom building? Can you put a name to it? Following Nehemiah's example, not to fight back with hurling insults and rage, but with prayer, asking God to take care of it. And how did Nehemiah show us how to do that when opposition is around? Go get them, God? No. Of course we want to say it like that. I know I want to a lot of the times, but that's not my job. That's God's. We work differently under faith or under discouragement. We pray differently under faith or under discouragement. We read and hear the word differently under faith and under discouragement. It is no wonder that Satan works so hard to keep us from faith and keep us in discouragement. If we lose the battle, he wins. No different today with opposition as it was back then. If Israel's enemy wanted to destroy them, what was their point of attack? The temple. Remember, anything physical. Today, what is the enemy's ways of attacking us? It's in here. It's spiritual. It's getting us to gossip about each other, to slander each other, to nitpick at the body of Christ, from finding fault with what our pastor says, to doubt our salvation. You're not really saved. Look at you. You're too busy. You have no time for God. You can't even do your Bible study. You can't even do your devotions in the morning. How many times have you told yourself, I'm going to read the Bible in a year? You can't even pick it up, and it's been two times, and we're already in February. That's me. That's my own personal right there. When our armor is off, when our armor is cracked, or when our armor is broken, the enemy gets in quietly and smoothly and destroys. And when I feel defeated from the day and being attacked, I hate that, but Jesus gives me another day to make it right. And so in ending, ladies, I want to ask you this question. Are you an unwalled city for God? Has the walls of our heart been broken or is it burned down? Are the gates of our thoughts and our minds and our eyes and our mouth Is it locked and bolted and shut from the outside worldly influence? We may not be of Nehemiah's unique abilities or feel that we are in any position to do anything great for God, but there are ways we can become useful to God. First, let's be women who talk to God, welcoming him in our thoughts and share ourselves with him, our concerns, our feelings, our dreams. And second, let's be women who walk with God. Let's put what we learn into action. Let's get back on our knees and talk with God. Let's not be still water inside our temple. Let's keep the lid to our hearts and minds closed from the outside world's influences and drink the water that refreshes our souls. What is Jesus Christ? Remember what Jesus says, If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Let's first clean up around our temple, which is right here. Let's fix the walls that might be broken between us and God. Then we can go out and help fix the broken walls of God's kingdom, which is everything around us for God, for his glory, and for good, for his kingdom to be rebuilt. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Oh, Father God, we're just so 
so blessed, Lord, to hear these words that even though as we go through opposition today, this morning, this week, this year, the last 10 years, 20, it's still the same as it was back then. And we can see through time and time again in Scripture how, how they dealt with it, how you came and you fought for them. Lord, fight for us. Fight for us this morning. Fight for our husbands. Fight for our families. Fight for our children. We lift our families up to you, Lord. We ask that you just light the path for us, Lord, and help us to stay on that path. And when we come to a road, Lord, where we want to cross over and go the other way, help us to get back on the same path that you and only you can direct us to yourself, Lord. Lord, you are the sheep gate, and we are your sheep, and it starts and ends with you. Lord, bless us today, Lord, with these ladies, Lord, as they go into their groups, Lord. I ask that you just pour out your spirit upon them, Lord. And bless them and be with the ladies who were unable to come here, Lord, for whatever reason. Watch over them. And, Lord, I ask that you just answer the unspoken prayer request, Lord. Just meet us there, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.